0: Oh, I will have him running, jumping, shouting, screaming. Oh, my name isn't Dr. Emil Schaffhausen. So,
1: Travel back in time to the 80s, reliving the laughter. Ah!
0: <laughs> the heroes Pick up your phone and call the professionals Go, Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters And the honesty What's that, My nipples, it's freezing out there <laughs> Because just like you, we're stuck in
2: the 80s Sure, it's not 1985 right now, but who knows what tomorrow will bring
1: I'm sorry, Mr. Williams, but we just can't do a podcast on Dirty Rotten Scoundrels with just two of us. Well,
3: oh, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, I know somebody. Uh, I met him at a concert. Uh, his name is. Uh, his name What's is. His name? Uh, it's Marlon Conder. N- no, it's it's Marco Bakelite. It's uh, Marshall Worcestershire. Uh-huh. Uh, uh Lar, Lar Lars Jesterson. Uh-huh. His name is Artie Marty.
1: Um
3: it's uh Marty Glowstick. It's um Marty Wooverton. Um
1: Marty U?
2: Yes,
3: yes, that's it. We're like this.
2: Uh Brad? I was standing right here.
3: Oh. Hey Marty.
2: Monsieur
0: Andre, would you see what you can get for this, please? Not the royal ring, my highness. Shh. You want the whole world to know. Do you have any idea what it feels like to take a woman for 20 bucks? No, I haven't. I'm afraid it's a little out of my class.
3: Oh, Lady Fanny of Omaha.
0: May I take your Triton, sir? Yes. Dr. Schaffhausen!
3: Dr. Emil Schaffhausen!
0: Your father doesn't own the United States soap company? No! no. I just use their laundry detergent. Don't you ever have an emotion? That originates
2: above
1: the waste. No! Hey, hey, welcome to Stuck in the 80s. It's your host, Steve Spears, and today I'm paired with two dirty, rotten scoundrels to do a podcast on... Uh, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels.
2: She caught me with another woman. Come on, you're French, you understand that?
0: To be with another woman, that is French. To be caught, that is American.
1: With me as always, he's my friend from L.A., but we just call him Brad from L.A. Hey, Steve. Finally, we're doing one of my favorite movies. Yes, let let it be written for the record that... Dirty Rotten Scoundrels was Brad's choice for this week's podcast. But we're not alone. We bring longtime friend and a new stuck in these companion, Marty Yu.
2: Hey, everybody. I hope this sounds a little better. I have a new microphone.
1: So Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, let me, uh, let me fill everyone in who hasn't seen the movie on the plot. As we all know, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels is a 1994 action comedy film starring Keenan Ivory Wayans, who plays a private detective formerly of the LAPD who let the force down after failing to crack down the case on drug lord Ernesto Mendoza.
2: Um, Um, Steve? Yeah. I think you might have the wrong movie.
1: Oh, that's a low-down dirty shame. I'm sorry. Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, yes. Brad, uh, why don't you fill us in on the blanks? Okay, so Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, released in uh, December of 1988, uh,
3: directed by Frank Oz, and primary cast Michael Caine, Steve Martin, and Glenn Headley. So Michael Caine plays a Laurence Jameson, a smooth and sophisticated con man who preys on rich women on the French Riviera, uh, assisted by the local chief of police. Um, And one day, Freddie Benson, Steve Martin, arrives on the scene and is uh, trying to horn in on his territory. Uh, Jameson believes that uh, Steve Martin's character is the jackal who has reportedly been working up and down the French Riviera. And as a result, he spends a lot of energy trying to get him to leave. Uh, in his words, he takes him in gracefully so that he will leave gracefully. Uh, and he puts him to work as a, kind of a co-conspirator on some of his scams, uh, which Freddie, you know, eventually tires of. And they uh, decide that one of them has to go. And the way they'll decide who has to go is that they will make a bet over who can extract $50,000 from a, a new guest at the resort in town Janet Colgate, played by Glenn Headley The soap queen of America And the winner of the bet Will stay in town And the loser has to leave And then once they've uh, made this bet Then hijinks ensue, basically
2: It's Hedley Is it Hedley? No, Did I, I say Headley? Actually, I don't know, but uh, <laughs> Hedley Lamar <laughs> uh, do we, That was just off the top of your head, Brad?
3: Uh Sort of <laughs>
2: Sounded like it.
1: Um, now some- this sounds a little familiar. This sounds familiar. Wasn't this? Isn't this a remake? It is a remake. Although I didn't find that out until recently. It's a 1964 bedtime story. Is the original movie
2: with Marlon Brando and- in a in a rare like very slapstick comedic role as Freddie.
1: Right. Have you seen it, Marty?
2: I have. I have. It's, it's uncanny. Like, there are scenes where there, there's dialogue directly lifted from one movie and then transplanted into Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Even, yeah. even like, like camera angles and, and, uh, funny bits. You know, the whole Ruprecht thing. Well, except for the, the, you know, some of the more, um, puerile jokes. But, uh.
1: Yeah. And I'll, I'll prove it right now. Here's a clip of the famous rubric clip as seen in Bedtime Story.
2: Come on down, Ruprecht.
0: I want you to meet this nice lady. Mother? No, not mother. She's my future wife. Your future sister-in-law. Come on down now. There's nothing to be afraid of, so long as you keep smiling. Hello, Ruprecht. Mother? No, Ruprecht. But we're going to live with this nice lady in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Both of you? Oh, uh, You're forgetting to smile. <coughs> My earring! Keep smiling. <coughs> Don't eat them, Ruprecht. Tulsa will be wonderful for him. He's nice and flat. He can run everywhere. We've tried letting him run around here, but he kept falling off the mountain. Oh. Yes. It hurts. But you won't fall anymore because this nice lady's going to hold your hand and lead you all around Tulsa. Mother. All right, Rupert. If it makes you happy,
2: you may call her mother. Mother. It is weird to see Marlon Brando act very silly. You know, it's not something yeah. we, we – when you think of him in the Apocalypse Now, well, I guess he does some silly things in that. But um. Well,
1: he was he was great in The Freshman. I know that's not an 80s movie, but I think it was 1990 mm-hmm. where, he, where he spoofs his role in Godfather. So, I mean, he's got – it's not unheard of, I guess, for him to have comedy – roles from here and there, but it is obviously, obviously rare. Yeah,
2: yeah, and Shirley Jones played the, the Glenn Glen Headley Heedley part. Headley. <laughs> Headley. Um, <laughs> what do you think about that the rest of the day now? Oh, good. Uh, the ending, is, the only big difference is the ending, uh, but we can get into that later.
3: So I haven't seen Bedtime Story. I've only seen the clips that uh, I could find on YouTube. But David Niven is fantastic in what I've seen as the Lawrence Jameson character. And like you say, there's dialogue that's just you know straight yeah, out yeah. of you know from one to the next. Like the, right. one of my favorite lines
1: from Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, it, it made me physically sick. Yeah, there's a lot more um, history associated with this movie than than just Bedtime Story. The the film, according to urban legend anyway, was supposed to have been written. As a movie vehicle for Mick Jagger and David Bowie um, who had just finished the video for – was it Dancing in the Streets? Yeah. And people thought that they had that chemistry together in the video and I didn't see it but that they basically had cut a movie deal and the, and the idea was they were going to get together and this was going to be their movie. And it just kind of – the way Hollywood works and Marty <laughs> – you're a creature of Hollywood. Yeah. Things don't always turn out the way you think they are.
2: Uh, basically, it, uh, Dale Launer uh, was a screenwriter who did. He wrote Ruthless People, and he um, wanted to to get, get the rights to this uh, to bedtime story, and then uh, Orion uh, bought it, and they it went through the whole development process, and it you know in that whole process the, the whole movie changed, and I think that uh, people were less interested in it, and once Jagger and and uh, bowie dropped out uh he changed it back to the original version and that's the what what they ended up shooting what do you want
0: this this i want this
1: how do you think the movie how do you think it would have been had had bowie and jagger actually appeared in it do you think it would have been better or worse
2: well can you think of any comedic roles that either of those two gentlemen have been in like purposely
3: <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm not talking about oh, Free Jack. <laughs> yeah, we were just talking
0: about
1: Free me. Jack. That's the, what it was. Brad and I were talking last night. We're like, "What's the movie where Jaggers, the race car driver, and it goes through time and there's and he meets the Mighty Ducks?" And we're like, "No, no, <laughs> Free Jack." God, man, you get bonus points for remembering that.
3: Wow, I think I saw Free Jack in the movies. I'm sad to say.
1: Really? This film ranks uh, number 85. Um, Bravo's top 100 funniest movies of all time. Anyone care to guess what's right before Dirty Rotten Scoundrels? Ow!
3: Um, let's see. So funny, but
2: not hilarious, basically. <laughs> <laughs> you would expect all hundred to be hilarious.
1: I guess you're right.
3: Okay. They are.
2: They are. It's
1: Silver Streak. There's no sense to guess. It's Silver Streak. Ah. Yeah, I wouldn't guess that in a long time.
2: I was going to guess Free, um, J- Free Jack.
1: <laughs> number number one on the list Animal House.
2: Deserving. There you go. Deserving. Deser- yeah.
1: Deserving. Uh, you know how I found out this was a remake? Uh, years ago when Hot Tub Time Machine came out, I talked to the director, Steve Pink, and I had talked to him about Hot Tub Time Machine and, and, and Hollywood's uh, latest, you know proclivity for remaking 80s movies, and he said, well, I, I gather from the way you're asking me that question, you don't agree with it. And I told him, no, I don't. And I think he was the one who told me that Dirty, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels was a remake, and I couldn't believe it. He told me that, I guess he like would named off five 80s movies that I always thought were original to the 80s yeah.
0: that
1: were not. Frank Oz talks about it a little bit on the uh, director's commentary on the DVD, which
3: is actually really entertaining. I don't watch a lot of director's commentaries, but... This one's pretty funny.
2: Well, he's such an entertaining guy, you know, he has such a, a storied history of, you know, being a puppeteer and working with Jim Henson and
3: yeah. But in this when he when he recorded it or when he records the commentary, he hasn't seen the movie in 13 years. And he keeps saying that, oh, "It's been 13 years since I've seen this." And uh he um just he'll be talking about something and then something on screen will surprise him and he'll start to laugh about it and it's just it's it's a fun experience i mean some of it he's like lecturing you on the you know when we say we used it on sticks that meant the camera was on a tripod and stuff like that (laughs) it's like okay that's great you know that'll come in useful when i'm on teen jeopardy someday um but uh a lot of it is really good stories and he's very you know he's you can sense he's a very collaborative guy because he keeps talking about, oh, Steve, the director of photography saw saw that, or I'm sorry, Michael, the director of photography saw this, and so we did it that way. And Steve Martin wrote the end of this scene, and he and Michael came up with the way they were going to handle this. And
2: I so, hate to break it to you, Brad, but you will never be on Teen Jeopardy. Oh, sorry, damn, I'm the destroyer of dreams.
1: Maybe I can make <laughs> Joker's wild.
2: Um, maybe. Uh,
1: you mentioned you mentioned Steve Martin improvising a scene. How, who how much of this movie was improved? Well, I know he improvs the
3: um the jail scene where he's riffing names uh because Frank Oz says he is down on his knees by the guy who's playing the chief of police and he basically says, I'm gonna pull on your like I'm gonna tap you on your leg when I think Steve is out. So he's basically calling the scene like when he's gonna say Laurence Genesome. I know somebody here I met him on a train. His name is... His name is
0: James... No, his name is... James Josephson. No, no, no.
1: James Lawrence. Lawrence! Lawrence!
3: Lawrence... Lawrence... Lawrence Fells. Lawrence Fangs. Forrest
0: Lawrenceton. Lo... Lone... Large, large, Lawrence, Lawrence, luck, Lawrence. Lawrence, Lawrence, Lawrence uh, his name is James Jesterton. Lawrence fell. Lawrence Jesterton. Lawrence Jesterton. Lawrence Jemison. Yes, yes, yes. We're like this.
1: Now, this is what I would guess you could call a sympathetic con man or con artist movie.
3: Yeah. I think- mean, all three characters in some way are likable, I think.
1: Off the, off the top of your head, how many other sympathetic con man movies can you think of? Um, or by definition, do con man movies need to be somewhat sympathetic so that you can show empathy for the characters?
3: I don't know. The one that, co- that pops to mind because I quote it all the time is Grifters. Yeah, I was going to say that too. I don't think the too. Grifters is particularly – I mean, all those characters are pretty flawed. Yeah
2: uh, but that's the one that came into my mind.
1: 1973 the sting comes to my mind. Uh yeah. The um what's one of the interesting things I always read about this movie is that, I don't know about you where did you guys see it for the first time? I'm pretty sure I saw this in
3: the theater. Um is hu- I was a huge Steve Martin fan still I'm a huge Steve Martin fan and I remember it's funny cuz I remember seeing the trailer uh, which has almost nothing to do. Well, no, it has with,
2: nothing they, they, the movie. They shot it separately. They they shot for one day just the trailer, and that scene doesn't a- occur yeah. in the movie.
3: It doesn't. It doesn't make any sense against the story. But I remember it, seeing that in the theater and going, "Oh, Michael Caine, Steve Martin, got to see that."
1: Right, and it's a scene of them walking down what the French waterfront. Yeah, and and they push old people into the water right at the last second.
2: Yeah, he pushes an old. Smush
1: some kids face it to cotton candy.
2: Or pop, yeah. Is that what it is? Yeah, yeah. And um, and there's this voiceover, like very '80s voiceover, tell talking about them as as con artists, and it sort of builds. And it's it was so funny when I saw it. I mean, because it just comes out of the blue; you don't expect to see Steve Martin push an old lady into the ocean.
1: Let me ask you this, um, and I know this is kind of putting you on a spot: Is this Steve Martin's best movie from the '80s?
2: Well, here's my question: It 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 is a v- it did, didn't surprise me that it was a remake because it has a really old-fashioned feel. It's like very much a comedy of errors, and the, the whole con man thing isn't really that believable.
1: It's very French.
2: Yeah. It's,
3: very, it's kind of timeless, too. It's not really of an era.
2: So I'm curious why, Brad, you picked it as your uh, a movie of the 80s.
3: Uh, because it was released in the 80s?
2: Yeah, but there are a lot of movies that are released in the 80s that that Steve won't touch.
3: Well, you know, he's, he's slowing down in his old age. I'm getting things past him. (laughs) I just, I just really love this movie. I find it very funny. I think the characters are great. I love the dialogue. Um, I love the twist at the end. And if you haven't seen the movie and you don't want to know the big spoiler, maybe you should, you know, turn off the podcast and go watch it, but we'll probably talk about it. We're going to talk about it already. (laughs) We're going to talk about it.
2: We're going to talk about it right now because it makes no sense why Glenn Headley would not Heady, it's Headley Headley Lamar. I'm sorry, I'll call her Glenn Headley <laughs> to set you up. Glenn Headley would uh, would uh, pursue these guys for the measly fifty thousand dollars if she makes millions of dollars a year.
3: Eh, maybe just to see where it's going to go. The yeah. sport of it. The sport it's of just, it. Yeah, the sport of it. I I I don't think it's. I,
2: I agree with you. It seems like small
3: change for her, but she does come back around at the end for another go round.
0: Fellas, last year I made three million dollars, but your fifty thousand was the most fun.
2: Yeah, so in the original, again, if you want to see the bedtime story of the original, turn it off now, uh, Shirley Jones actually is the- Click! (laughs) (laughs) She is the, the soap queen, and she, like, is like this middle America sweetheart, and Marlon Brando gives up his his uh, scandalous ways, his his flim-flamming ways, and goes off with her.
1: Wow. Wow.
3: Yeah.
2: Interestingly enough, they ended up working together, Marlon Brando and Frank Oz, in Marlon Brando's last feature film, which was The Score. Oh, I didn't know that. Wow, I didn't know that at all. Yeah, and apparently the rumor is that they did not get along at all. To huh. the to the point that the rumor is and which Frank Oz said he was much more diplomatic when talking about it, Uh Frank Oz, uh, uh, Marlon Brando would show up without his pants on so that um, <laughs> so that Frank Oz couldn't shoot below his waist, and then would <laughs> re- refuse to take direction from Frank Oz, calling him Miss Piggy, and so Frank Oz had to relay direction to Robert De Niro, who would then tell. Marlon Brando. Ruprecht, you want the genital cough? Wow. That's professional. Yeah, well, that's the rumor. Yeah. I believe it. I so, choose to.
3: Getting back to your question, is it Steve Martin's best movie of the 80s? Uh, it's
1: I top, might rank it in the top three. Yeah, I was going
3: to say the same thing. I Personally, I like The Man with Two Brains. I like uh, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles.
2: I like Parenthood.
3: Parenthood is a good great. movie. Although, I, that's a... I, I guess that's a, that's an ensemble cast, right? It's hard for me to think of that as a Steve Martin movie because there's a lot going on
2: there. But it's the first movie, like of all that list, where he plays like a, a sort of a grounded human being, you know, that you can eh, identify.
1: Planes, trains, and automobiles.
2: Well, he's just more of a straight man, like he's an uptight kind sure. of guy. True.
3: Sure. So, uh, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels is the is the third highest grossing Steve Martin movie of the eighties. What, what were like, the other two? One, one number one and number two. We've already talked about both of them. Number one is Parenthood, and number two is Planes, Trains, and Automobiles.
1: So I went. I'm shocked. I, I would have thought a Little Shop of uh, a Little Shop of Horrors or Three Amigos might have snuck in there. Now four is the fourth. Number four is Roxanne, which I also think is very funny. And number
3: five is the Three Amigos. Uh,
2: huh. what, what was your favorite Michael Caine movie from the eighties?
3: Dirty Rotten Scoundrels.
2: He went on a streak uh, where he became the sort of a, a butt <laughs> of jokes of, about being in every movie in the eighties.
3: Yeah, yeah. I,
2: He's well, in a the, lot.
3: The one, the other one that I really like that I see on the list here is without a clue. I think
2: that's very funny. Not Jaws for the Revenge.
1: No. No, I think uh, I, I think I just counted. He's in nineteen or twenty movies in the eighties. Um, he did win an Oscar in the eighties, nineteen eighty-six, for Hannah and Her Sisters.
2: Oh uh, great movie.
1: Yep, he was nominated for another Oscar in 1983 for Educating Rita. He deserves an Oscar for 1981's Victory.
2: <laughs> I think. <laughs> I think he deserved an Oscar for Blame It on Rio, which, uh-huh.
3: which
2: now that uh. now that I'm in my 40s, that movie takes on a whole new dimension. Yeah, now that I have a daughter. Okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Blame It on Rio, I think, was in constant rotation on HBO back in the early 80s. I mean, like it would come on like at 9 or 10 o'clock at night when hopefully my parents weren't paying attention to what I was watching on television anymore. Um,
2: it was the only so. reason I enjoyed going to my grandparents is because they had HBO. Well, I didn't watch Blame It on Rio with them, but uh, we didn't have cable, <laughs> uh, but we could watch it when we were there. Nice. Yeah.
3: So, highest grossing Michael Caine movie of the 1980s? Because I'm all I, about the Benjamins.
1: Okay, it's. A, I'm going to say it's, uh, I'm looking at the list now. I'm going to say it's Dressed to Kill.
2: No. Incorrect. I'm going to say it's um, this one, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels.
1: You are correct. Wow. Well, that makes sense, of course. Uh, Yeah, without a clue, though, you mentioned that one. That's a great movie.
2: I think that's really funny. Uh, (laughs) uh,
3: Underappreciated. But it's a good, it's one of those, you know, little plot twist stories where uh, Sherlock Holmes is created by uh, Dr. Watson, and Dr. Watson is the real
1: brains behind it.
3: Played by Ben Kingsley. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. If you get a chance, check that one out.
1: Yeah, it's, you never see it. Another one you never see on anymore is "Sweet Liberty" from nineteen eighty six, which stars Alan Alda I was as say, a is history. Is that Alan Alda? Yeah, and Michelle Pfeiffer. Professor. and Michelle Pfeiffer as um uh, Alan Alda is a history professor whose book about the Revolutionary War gets made into a movie in his college town. So the so Hall of Hollywood comes to you know Podunk wherever and. Um, he ends up having a love affair with with uh, Michelle Pfeiffer, and uh, Michael Caine plays this gregarious English actor who befriends him and kind of takes the story in a different direction. It's real. It feels real early '80s. Real like uh, like all of Alan Alda's movies had a certain feel to them. You know, like eh, this doesn't quite you know feel slick. Yeah, but it's, st- but it's still funny. So, but yeah, Michael Caine. And he also was nominated – and he was nominated for Golden Globe for Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, but he lost out to Tom Hanks in anyone, anyone? Big? Big it is, yeah.
2: So for every Dirty Rotten Scoundrels that Michael Caine did, he offset it with The Hand, uh, (laughs) (laughs) about the killer hand, which was actually directed and written by Oliver Stone. Wow. uh, Yeah. That was from '81, and I mean, he did some real stinkers back in the '80s. But
3: I remember seeing an interview with him where he kind of addressed that. He's like, "Look, you know, my father said to me, if you're going to be an actor, that's fine, but you know, if you if you're going to work, work." And so when things came along, he
0: took them.
2: Oh, I I don't blame him at all. Him at all. I would I would take I would be in the island. Oh God, my dad oh, take me from this place.
0: Oh God. Oh.
2: Well, see, I worked in a video store in the, in the um, when I was in college, so that's I saw like a lot of these movies. I would just go home every night with a stack of four or five movies, and that's where I first saw Dirty Rotten Scoundrels.
1: That, that's funny because that's exactly the same situation I was in. I worked at, what was it called, Pick a Flick in Clearwater, Florida, and the owner insisted that we take home movies every night that we hadn't seen and watch them so that no, we so could talk about them. them. Yeah, yeah. I will also say this. The owner of that chain also had a very extensive collection of pornography movies that we were also told to, if, if we wanted to, bring them home at night and watch them so that we could talk about them intelligently with customers.
2: That The same thing happened to me. Glenn, the the owner of, the, what was it, Rocket Video, he told me that I had to watch this and because he didn't want to watch it, and so he, I could talk about it. It was like Ten Little Indians, I think it was the, the porno version of it, oh. and uh, <laughs> it was just awful. It was, um, but it was funny because the the adult section they didn't have a separate room. They had a binder that you would,
3: uh, you could browse
2: browse, and then you would come and say, uh, "I'll take number," you know. 310, please. And then you would go, oh, so you want ebony asses volume three? No problem. <laughs> Click.
3: Coming right up. Yep. So I, I worked in the video rental section of a
1: uh, electronics store here in L.A., Federated, and we did not have the X-rated stuff. Oh. Ours was heavy X, too. And ours was uh, you had to go through uh, the bamboo curtain to get to it. <laughs> <laughs> so you can hear it. For years, the sound of bamboo curtains to me conjures up the uh, – the image of pornography.
2: <laughs> is that why your new lair is just like every doorway has a bamboo curtain? <laughs>
1: My college dorm room had them. All
3: well, now the he has the
2: internet,
1: so he doesn't need the bamboo curtain.
2: <laughs> yeah. Now
0: that you're walking, do you think that you can, well?
1: I can try.
0: You may not believe this, but I haven't had very much experience.
3: neither. Could you close the dream
1: so Frank Oz, though, we, we mentioned him for a minute. Um, Dirty Rod and Scoundrels was not obviously his first directing job. Anyone know what Frank Oz's debut directorial job was?
3: Uh, he co-directed uh, The Dark Crystal.
1: He did indeed. And he also worked again with Steve Martin in Little House, uh, Little Shop of Horrors. And he's still around today. I guess he's still directing... Although, if you want to hear him in 2013, the best way to do it is to go see Monsters University, where he pronounced where he does one of the voices, I believe, for the Monster Fungus. Yeah,
3: yeah he's uh, the the bad guy's assistant in the first one. So,
2: yeah, I think there's he is might be retired from directing. I, I, I don't know. Like I was, there was some rumor there were rumors on the internet um, about him retiring, but that could be wrong. It, it, the last thing he did was some TV stuff. I think.
1: Um, yeah, it was. I mean, that's an interesting question. Maybe Marty, you can answer. that. I mean, at what point? I mean, is directing the kind of job that you have to retire from it someday? That it's just it's just too much work.
2: Uh, that, it depends. Like someone like Steven Soderbergh is de- retiring supposedly from film, directing films, but then you got Francis Ford Coppola is still making movies. You know, I, I guess you just slow down because it is a huge investment of time and it is very physically demanding. You know. Yeah.
1: And I'm guessing if you, as time goes on and you do a couple movies that maybe don't meet box office expectations, then it probably grows harder and harder to do the projects you want to do.
2: And I think that's when TV becomes more interesting or because it's just, it's a lot easier, uh, to just jump in and work for a few weeks as opposed to, you know, some of these projects probably, you know, take years to get, to get finished.
3: So I'm assuming we'll also hear him in the, uh, the uh, Star Wars sequels as Yoda
2: too. I hope so. I yeah. mean, yeah, voiceover is no problem. You just sit in a yeah. booth and
1: yeah, well, like, like this. It's
2: hey yeah, but Yoda's, to do
1: it. Yoda's dead though in the mm. in the sequels.
2: <laughs> the Force lives on in Yoda.
3: Dude, Force ghosts. Come on. Yeah, they're all over the place. Yep, I guess. Yeah, you know, there's another connection to Star Wars too uh, between Star Wars and Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Uh Carrie Fisher. Nope. Ian McDermott, the emperor, is, uh, Lawrence Jemison's butler.
1: Oh my oh, god!
2: That's really that's funny. That's obscure. And he
3: has just, he has some great lines in this movie too.
2: Right at the end, when Steve
3: oh, Martin says, sorry I broke your VHS machine. I'm sorry I broke your VHS player. I want you to give me the make and model number. As soon as I
2: get settled, I'm gonna send you a check. Oh, shut up. Oh, and it, then, that's, that's such a great, shot because you just see them from the back you know
3: yeah frank oz talks about that in the commentary and he says you know i I set this up i love doing this this long master shot i i did you know i did cover and i have some close-ups from the front that i shot but i'm glad i didn't have to use them and he kind of talks about it for a while and then he like he looks up at the screen he's like oh wow it's still going
2: wow this is a really long shot he gets really excited about it now do you have a favorite frank oz movie From the 80s. Uh,
1: That he directs?
2: Yeah,
3: Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it would be this one. I mean, my favorite appearance of him in a movie is probably Trading Places, where he plays the cop.
2: Yeah, it's an opera. He only did uh, (laughs) two other movies besides the two we mentioned. He did Little Shop of Horrors and The Muppets Take Manhattan. And Little Shop of Horrors is pretty amazing.
1: Yeah. Uh,
2: it's fun. I, yeah, I like it, but I don't, it's not as good as... At... Couldn't,
1: couldn't force me to watch it again.
2: My favorite of his is probably Bowfinger. Where... Oh, they... yeah, yeah. That like, is good. They did three movies together, uh, Steve Martin and Frank Oz, the third being House Sitter.
1: From House 90. Sitter, right? Yeah. yeah. I'm sure they wish they hadn't done that one.
2: I That's love okay. that movie. Oh, I think
1: House Sitter's okay. <laughs> really? I like yeah. that movie a lot. Uh, you know, what do you, I what like think he it's he a great tracks? Goldie Han role. Oh, man, it just feels like a bologna sandwich without the cheese. I mean, it just, oh, I don't know. You and Drew, with your horrible food metaphors, hungry. (laughs) You know what I'm hungry for right now?
2: Bologna boats?
0: The The Seggies. What's happening, hot stuff?
1: Ah, by the sound of the gong, it must be time for Mystery Movie Moment. And I'd like to extend my official apology to everyone who's been emailing me at steveinthe 80s at gmail.com, because for the last two months, I've been saying use that email address, but I've been, I had forgotten to forward it to my new, to my actual email address. So your emails have been out there spinning in space until this last week. It's sounds really. like a douche. I feel like a douche. Anyway, pay attention. Here's last show's mystery clip.
0: Ruprecht, to desire your brother.
2: No sudden moves.
1: Big surprise, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels.
2: Oh, I knew it. It was on the tip of my tongue.
1: So close. Brad, read the winners.
3: Our winners this week include Chris from South Lyon, Carol Jansen, Russ Carson, Bill and Nokomis, Nokomis, Nokomis. Help me out there, Bill. Scott Ryan, Kevin Winch, Reed Sturdivant in Johnson City. Tor Hansen, Rachel Coronado, Diana, a.k.a. Mrs. Alpha Geek, and Jason Bilski.
0: It's Diana.
3: It probably is. I apologize. Uh, I guess I can't apologize in advance since I've already butchered your name. But if I did a particularly bad job, then please drop me a line with some phonetic spellings.
1: Pay attention. Here's this week's mystery clip. Well,
0: let's take a look at the play. He is actually 6'5", with the Afro 6'9".
1: If you know it, email us at, and I promise I will check the uh, email account this time, Steve in the 80s at gmail.com, Brad in the 80s at gmail.com, or SIT 80s at gmail.com.
3: Unlike Steve, I check my email and uh, I try to respond to everybody. So if you send me an email, I'll write you back. <laughs>
1: ah, the very confusing. But in Lightning Seggy, we like to call Stuck in stuck in the 80s. Uh, as you might know, this is where we play a old-time, ye old-timey uh, story from Podcast of Yore. And uh, who picked out the uh, clip this week, Brad? Uh, this week's clip was suggested by Russ Carson. Oh, excellent. And yeah. this is from episode six, 63? Are you kidding me? Yeah. Turn the way back. <laughs> we set the way back machine to October
2: 2006. Oh,
1: God. oh geez. Hollywood Halloween in the 80s. Okay and um i believe this is about um i be well oh.
2: you were in your 50s back then right
1: yeah i'm looking at what this is about oh god okay here we go one year and i
0: think i was maybe 13 she i'm like mom i need a i need a costume Thanks, you know mm-hmm. and she's like well uh i'll make you a costume i'm like all right cool oh. it was gonna be a big surprise and it was a crayon I was like, I had to go as a crayon. I'm crayon. Just kind of Sitting there with like, it looked like the, you know, like a really bad version of the Tin Man. Uh, I'm supposed to be a crayon. You're a and silver crayon. Any, I don't think anyone talked to me. It's like, geez, steer clear of the crayon. And then when I'd sit down, the crayon would go over my head, so I'd just be staring at this cardboard. And Yeah, the only thing I could see were the the, the tears. Oh, the tears. The tears. Oh, yeah, it was awful. Yeah, it, was really it was bad. bad. Wow. And then one year, one year I was supposed to go uh, trick or treating with all my friends, but they lived in a different neighborhood. But Matt Rothra was like the leader of that gang and his sister like me the they crit. disinvited me uh-huh. they disinvited me from Halloween and I was miserable and my parents felt so oh. I just spit on you <laughs> I just spit on Gabby so- I slimed it slimed me oh I can't I'm see so- we all knew this I got- moment would come I got- <laughs>
2: <laughs> we all knew this moment would come have
0: a look at my face. <laughs> Oh, my reflexes are quick enough. I'm going to punch you. Look at <laughs> my faces. Look at all of her. No. That is a little... That is a little...
1: What was the over-under on the Sean saliva in the face for the podcast? Oh,
0: look at her. That a pause. And then she said, did that really just
1: happen? He's lost it. Look at him. He's turning purple. <laughs>
0: oh, sorry about that. Anyway, I was disinvited, right. I was disinvited by I, Matt you spit in <laughs> And then my mom just bought me twin lobsters to try to... That's a true story, actually. Really? <laughs> bought me lobsters at Valley's Restaurant. Yeah. Uh-huh. I'm sorry for that. <laughs> <I'm sorry> for- <laughs> when that story
1: started, <laughs> I did okay. not see coming out of <laughs> <laughs> twin lobsters. Yeah. At the end of it. <laughs> I don't know what's more disturbing, the uh, expectoration involved in that story or the fact that it ends on the twin lobster tails
2: i don't know twin lobster tails will make me happy for just about anything why is the cork on the fork to prevent him hurting himself and others hmm. i
1: don't so, know except for a bad Halloween costume though. what
3: time at what point does the story of the twin lobster tails being taken home to be
1: played within the bath show up God, that must be the same episode, but just later on.
3: Yeah, I mean, and he's
1: 13, he says? That's just all getting weird. (laughs) It's all getting weird. It explains a lot. Yeah, it manifests itself decades later. There's There's
3: food issues, there's crustacean issues, costume issues.
2: Steve, I agreed to be on this podcast only because I wanted to read some reader mail. What's up?
1: You want some reader mail? Yeah. Then people have to write us. I oh. oh! I see how that works. I thought so. the reader mail was grown in a Petri dish. No, sadly enough. So uh, if you need some suggestions on ideas that you can uh, email us about, you can email us about your worst Halloween costume if you want. You can tell us about the time that uh, you worked at a video store because it seems like pretty much everybody from the 80s worked in a video store. Did anybody
3: else work at McDonald's?
1: I did. Yeah. Never eat the McRib. Just never eat there. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> Ah, the mystical refrain of named that 80s tune. Hey, we'll play a snippet of a song from the 80s, and if you get it right next week, Brad will read your name on the show. We promise to start doing more shows. Um, we're trying to keep fact- our
3: foot in the gas here.
1: Yeah, I know. Please give us a chance. Uh, we're going to try to come up two or three shows a month if we can, and uh, let's get some momentum going here. Pay attention. Here's the last show's mystery clip. Yes, that's Wishing by Flock of Seagulls. I had of you,
2: that was in Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, wasn't it?
1: <laughs> Dirty Rotten Scoundrels is actually another reason why it's an odd pick for uh, the podcast. It's one of the very few movies that we ever talk about that doesn't have a soundtrack that's worth talking about. Yeah, it's just incidental music.
3: Well,
2: I, no, I, it, I think it is worth talking about. It's all scored. It, it's not really incidental.
1: I know, but in my well, mind, the great mean, movies of the 80s have great soundtracks.
2: Uh, yeah, but it, it is a very distinctive soundtrack that, is used, that uses a lot of classic uh, mu- musical themes. Yeah,
3: again, sure. I think you're right. It, it gives it that, that
1: older, slower feel to the movie. Well, yeah, it's ti- right. it gives it a timeless feel in a way. I mean, there's something about when every time you remake a French movie or, or anything that's set in France, it seems like it, it, it puts a stamp of timelessness on it that you could come back and remake it 20 years later, 30 years later, and it's still kind of – it doesn't feel modernized or dated.
2: Yeah. And Miles but- Goodman was the, uh, the composer, and they, they worked uh, – he and Frank Oz worked on many, many films together.
3: So Frank Oz did have something funny to say about working in the in the south of France. Which why does everyone call it the south of France? I'm going to go to the south of France. Um, he said that there, you know, the scene where Steve Martin's on the beach, you know, getting the pictures taken, and he's wearing the ridiculous bathing suit. Um, they shot two versions of that scene. They shot the American version and the European version. And so after they shot the Euro- American version, he basically, you know, yelled out to everyone, "Okay, ladies, take off your tops."
1: <laughs> nice. Nice. So how many people knew that that was uh, Flock of Seagulls?
2: I knew it was, but I didn't know which song.
1: Brad, read the winners.
2: The winners. The winners. Where are the
3: winners? The winners. Winners this week include... Carol Jansen, Jason Bilski, Rob Notaro from Long Island, Pinhead, Gabriel Daigle, Christine Hood, Mark in Lancaster, and Rick V. from New
1: Orleans... Pay attention. Here's this week's mystery clip. If you know it, email us at in the eighties Brad in the eighties at eighty. Brad, does anyone ever actually email you the answers? Or is it just uh, Yeah,
3: when I get sometimes a lot of times they're copying you as well. But when I get them, I
1: write okay. them down so I make just, sure they just get just it they're just yeah, wondering. You're, you're more than welcome to email Brad uh, and of course s i t eighties at gmail.com. We'll be right back after this message.
0: We want to thank you for all the name suggestions for our new wine cooler. There were some really clever ones. but we decided just to call it the Bartles and James wine cooler, because my last name is Bartles and Ed's is James. If you don't like the name, please don't tell us, because we've already printed up our labels. Anyway, you could always just call it Bartles and skip the James altogether. Ed says that is okay with him. Thanks for your continued support.
1: And we're back. And we have time for one last question. So let me ask you this. Where does Dirty Rotten Scoundrels land in the realm of non teen movies of I get, the eighties?
2: Like how many you haven't done many non teen movies of the eighties, have you?
1: Uh, we did Wall Street. Uh. We did um, what else did we do? We did planes, trains, and automobiles. That would be a non eighties, non teen, even though yeah. it was John Hughes. Right. I mean I think
3: that the you know the the comedies are the low hanging fruit, and the comedies that we're going to gravitate towards are going to be the
1: teen comedies. So, no, I think you'd be surprised. I think because I mean I know a lot of the ones I want to do coming up, Fletch. You know that has no teen.
2: Right, but as we appreciated it as teens more than we did like you know the Last Emperor or something like that. Sure,
1: which I did actually see in the theaters in the eighties, bizarrely enough. But we won't be doing a show about it. Thank no goodness. the. Um, <laughs> I got a lot of great stories about the last emperor. Really? Uh, no. I probably could. I probably actually could scrounge up a couple, and they would be like tear jerkers too. So I'm just saying, if you want to hear our podcast on the last emperor, it can be done. What makes tearsy <laughs> cry? God. But um, no. I mean, I don't know. I mean, this was 1988, so I would have been, you know, junior, senior in college. Yeah, at this it came point. out in
3: December, so it was uh, yeah, right at right at winter break for my senior year in college.
1: I mean, probably, you know, how much how much of an impact did it make on me at the time? None. I mean, it's not one of those kind of movies that adds to your, you know, formation as an adult. It's just it's just fun. It's just a funny movie.
2: Uh, the big winner from that year uh, was, in Oscar terms, was uh, Rain Man in '88, which was an oh, adult. Oh yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I saw that twice in the theaters. I remember that? It might be one of the last movies I ever saw twice in the theaters. So, do you think that, that Glenn,
3: however you want to say her last
2: name...
0: Hedley. Hedley Lamar. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, we didn't talk about what else she did in the 80s. Well, did she
1: do anything else? What else did
3: she
2: do in the 80s? Uh,
3: she married John Malkovich in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: yeah. Um, they were married for a while. Uh, the rumor was that Sean Young was originally cast in her role, but then, for whatever reason, she dropped out, and then Glenn Hedley came in.
3: One of my favorite moments for her in this movie is when she's introduced, and you know, knowing the, with knowing the end, when you see it the second time, the first time you see her eyes, she's looking around the room, and you know she's like she's sizing the place up, and it's this great little moment in the, the lobby of the hotel.
2: She was in Fandango, Doctor Detroit, Purple Rose of Cairo.
1: She's in Doctor Detroit. Yep, she's Miss Debbie like. She's in Making Mister Right. Did you already say that one?
2: Yes, with John Malkovich, her husband at the time.
1: Is that where is that where she met him?
2: I don't know. They seem like theater types. Those, <laughs> yeah. those types all hang out together.
1: <sighs> Can't well, yeah, because she was in *Purple Rose of Cairo*, so she was probably a theater type. So, yeah, she was. She's but, done a lot of live stage stuff. Sure, as well she should. Um, the um, to me though, the the culmination of the whole movie, and the one the line that sticks in my mind is when she leaves. Uh, Steve Martin and Michael Caine at the end of the movie at the airport. They're confused as to who has the money. You know, Michael's got it. Steve's got it. No, she's got it. And she finally explains in the note note, what really happened.
3: Hello, boys. It was fun. I'll miss you. Love, Janet. The Jackal. P.S. I'm keeping the money. Is that wrong?
0: Oh, oh, the mouse! She is disgusting. She is lying. She is deceitful. She is two-faced. She is conniving, and she is dishonest. <laughs> yes, is she wonderful?
3: The other part of that scene that I really like is right before that when they open the bag. And Steve Martin is just such a moron. His character is just such a dip. It's like, hey, my clothes. It's like, oh, look, something shiny.
2: <laughs> yeah. Actually, my favorite moment is when, in the end when she gets, uh, she's leading the Greek tour around. And then uh, there's that moment where you're waiting for Michael Caine. Like, is he going to join in? And then yeah. he goes, let's put a shrimp on the Bobby. And then uh, Steve Martin's about to join in. And then she goes, and poor, you know, what's his name is Mute.
0: Hey, I almost forgot somebody. Mr. Junior Partner, the man Chips can't do without the whiz kid, Randy Bentwick. Unfortunately, Randy is a mute. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
3: unfortunately he's a mute yeah, right. it just cuts him out like i know he's not smart enough to keep up with this one so i'm gonna just shut him up permanently it
2: is a just a fabulous moment
3: yeah that's a great moment too and you if you watch that you know michael cain is like internalizing it and it's kind of like okay what am i doing and steve martin just looks like he got hit by a
2: bus like what the hell is going on here Now, brad did you feel any pride for oklahoma when you saw the movie
3: uh absolutely. I love it when Oklahoma gets to be uh, you know, joke land.
2: he will enjoy Oklahoma's wide open spaces.
0: He loves to run and run and run.
3: And that actually that's the same I think that's in bedtime story, isn't she from Tulsa?
1: Yeah. She's from Tulsa, yeah. yeah.
3: So that's yeah, that's a great moment. We didn't talk at all about the Ruprecht character, which is, you know, some of the you know, comedy gold in the middle of this movie when Steve Martin is getting kind of abused by Michael well, Caine.
2: If you don't want to see the movie, just watch that one clip on YouTube and you'll get just, you know, uh, uh, the creamy filling.
3: <laughs> Marty, do you want the genital cuff? <laughs> Excuse me. May I go to the bathroom
0: first? Of course you may.
2: Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <Of course>.
1: <laughs> oh, God, I'm going to end the podcast right now. Is that wrong? As always, we we appreciate the uh, the comic relief of Marty, u and uh, Brad. You're absolutely forbidden from picking the next four podcast topics after this one. That's fine. Kidding. Pick away. In the meantime, uh, myself along with Headley, Headley Lamar. We remain here, hopelessly, stuck in the 80s.
0: Are you ready? Then let's go get them. (laughs) ¶¶ Does <laughs>
1: that, that, that does that suck?
2: No, it was it was gold. That's delightful.
1: <laughs> I can hear the eyes rolling back in the head from here.